the title of tonight's message is Use It. One of the central themes in Christianity is the theme of suffering. Suffering is something that we all want to escape. We don't like suffering. Who likes suffering? Something wrong with you. Nobody likes suffering. We try our very best to, to plan to not to have to suffer. We try and make, we all aim to work towards comfort and peace. And the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord is not the, the type of peace that, pe that people want. The peace people want is the peace we have no issues, we have no problems, we have no storms. Uh, the type of joy that, that God has is in the midst of the storms is to have joy and to have peace even when it's chaos all around. It's the type of peace that David had to have, although a thousand falls on my left and 10,000, I shall not fear. He makes a table for me in the midst of my enemy. I cannot see that picture of the guy trying to eat. So if we were to have a table set for us physically, amidst our enemies, we would be shaking, cutting that steak. I don't, that doesn't look to me like peace. And so we, we try and at our very best to work towards a goal where we are comfortable where we have no struggles, where we finally arrive on this mountain top and then what? Then what? What do we do when we're there? Then we just chill until we die. Now, if, if you're working towards, uh, a lot of people are entrepreneurs just to get to a certain level of salary. They just want freedom. They, don't, they want their own time. It's not that they want to be rich. They just don't want to work for someone. That's one of the motivations for people to become entrepreneurs. So other people doesn't care about the money. They get so rich it's, and they still continue to work because they don't work for the money. And in the same way, I think if, if your Christianity is working towards peace, what if you arrive there? I, I, I doubt that you will, but we think that that's the goal. And I want to submit to you, you'll never get there. You'll not get to a place if you have a real relationship with God and it's a real genuine not a fake relationship with God. If you have a real relationship with God, you're not going to arrive at a place where your problems disappear. You're going to arrive at a place where you have finances to pay for your stuff possibly. And even if you do, your problem still doesn't disappear. If you can afford your food that you eat during the month and buy clothing, you're going to arrive at a place where you meet a husband or a wife and you get married and you have children and they're healthy. But that's not the end of it. If you aim to get to a place where you have no issues, family is happy, Children's happy, wife is happy, finances are happy, everything is happy. Trust me, there'll be someone there to mess it up. Storms are inevitable and suffering is inevitable. So the theme of suffering is throughout the Bible. There's many verses about it. It says not, um, it says not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering... Suffering, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. So if you skip suffering, if you succeed in skipping suffering, you, ha you are missing out on producing perseverance. You cannot persevere if you haven't gone through suffering. Easy doesn't produce perseverance because you're not persevering when it's easy. And perseverance, if you skip producing perseverance, you, you, you don't build character. If you don't build character, you don't have hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God lo God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If you don't have troubles, you don't have the comfort of God. If you don't have the comfort of God, what are you, what, with what are you helping someone else? It is the comfort of God that enables you to comfort someone else. You can't effectively comfort. That's why the world can only listen to your stories. They really don't have a means to fix it. Philippians says in verses 1:29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him,
but also to suffer for him. So we spoke in the past few weeks about the subject of love. Love has been poured out in our hearts and we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to love other people the way that God loved us. One of the greatest commands is this, to love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then we moved on. We heard this morning that one of the fruits of the Spirit, besides love being a fruit of the Spirit that you can only have by the Spirit, is that you're supposed to be, have patience in your life, that God is patient with you and that you should have a long fuse. Not a short fuse, a long fuse. Look at your wife, tell us short fuse. Now look at yourself. Tell yourself short fuse, long fuse, not short fuse. Now we're looking at the thing, how we suffer. Second Timothy says this in verses one to eight, uh, chapter one, verse eight. Do not be ashamed for, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel. I, I, I swear, it feels like some Christians read that verse and when you read to suffer for the gospel means to be, become famous for the gospel. They, they, they go like, I know he says suffering. It's one of those words that doesn't mean suffering. I know it reads suffering that you suffer for your faith in God, that you suffer with Christ and you suffer for the gospel, but it doesn't mean suffering. When he says suffering, it means blessed. That you're really suffering under the weight of your blessing. That's what it, it's not what it means. The word suffer there historically has, as if you interpret the word, means suffer. Now, which is not fun, but it is powerful. And, and, and 2 Timothy 3, 1 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, one of those words that doesn't mean persecuted. It means blessed. Persecuted because you are so blessed. People, it means that people are jealous because God gives you a GTI. And your house is big. And your girl is pretty. And you have a Louis Vuitton bag. And now they hate you because you're blessed and highly favored. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. Again, you break the word down, persecuted. It's persecuted. There's too many of this. I can't go on like this. First Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Let's read that slowly together as a community. Read with me, beloved. Okay, faster. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. You're not the only one suffering and suffering happens to every single one. You cannot. Storms happen everywhere, everywhere. Storms happen and it happens to everyone. The sun rises every morning over everyone in Montana and Cineville at the same time. And Cineville is a place, a literal place, not a place for sinners. It's an actual suburb called Cineville. Some of you should move there. <laughs> Smallville for Superman, Cineville for you. <laughs> What's your superpower? I sin a lot. This is, jokes are so lame popping into my head. You don't date Camelot. You, you, Cam <laughs> sin a lot. Sin a lot. Um, okay, where were we? 
James 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Again, a repeat of the first verse I read. Acts 14, 22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Strengthen the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2, 19, again, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So you can't escape the fact that you'll go through some suffering in life. You'll go through some suffering. But the sufferings you go through has a purpose. And many of us are so focused on escaping the suffering that we neglect to learn the lesson. We never learn from the teacher called suffering what we are supposed to learn. We, we try our very best to navigate ourselves so quickly into a zone of comfort so that we can escape the pain of the suffering. If you eject yourself from what is happening in your world, trying to escape it as fast as you can, not paying attention for why God has allowed it to come into your life, you're missing what God needs to teach you. When, when we are the world for a very long time, growing up, none of us grew up in wars, unless you're very old in this room. Some of the older gentlemen may have. But if you're around my age or below, you haven't seen a war. That's 40 years. Never seen a war. Never had a war in your life. Never gotten, never gotten close to a gunfight ever. Well, some of you stay in neighborhoods where you hear it, but. You didn't grow up in a war, so, so what, what, what's happening around the world is because of, of, of the lack of some of these things and the problems, there's very little cohesion in communities and we are trying to if something is is good for for just a while and it's stable you'll find somebody that breaks it because we don't have anything to unite us and to take our attention off of things we're trying to discover stupid things to do to break things and, and good times breeds weak people you know the saying hard times produces tough people tough people produces peaceful times peaceful times produces weak people weak people produces tough times Now your Christianity, hear this, your Christianity, some preachers, okay, moving on. <clears throat> your Christianity is much more practical than is theoretical. We don't serve God in theory, we serve Him in practice. I don't date my wife in theory. I practice dating her. We don't have a relationship with God through study. You don't read the, a book about God and think you please Him. Your Christianity is very much practical because I've never read a book about my wife. Her parents should have given me a book, but they didn't. They handed just, we're happy to take her. And send me out of their house without a manual. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> then I actually had to hold her hand. At one point, we went to Menland the first time we started dating. And we were serious about this. And we, okay, we're doing this. And I was looking for a place to go to to hold her hand. Aww. <laughs> and I took her to Menland. It's her happy place. And I was walking through the mall holding her hand. It was practical, not theoretical. Her friends could tell me everything about her, but it wouldn't be the same as actually physically holding her hand. Her friends could keep on explaining what she likes or dislikes in her parents, and I could have discussions with everyone that knows her, but none of that would have led to children. Some of you should spend more time talking about your spouses, uh, uh, friends, spouses, it's fine. I had to have a practical relationship with her. That's actually physically happening. 
your relationship with God is not as much in theory as, as it is in practice. And I want to submit to you that there is nothing as substantial and, and powerful in training you who God is practically as does a storm or suffering or pain or trials or tribulations. There is nothing that would tell you more about him and how it feels to hold his hand as does a storm. The only time I read about Peter grabbing the hand of Jesus was in a storm. That storm practically showed Peter much more about Jesus than the discussion before the storm could. You cannot, without suffering, learn what it means to be sanctified, set apart, chosen by God, blessed by God, covered by God, called a child of God. You don't know what that means until a storm comes and you use his name. Because how many times in your comfort do you call on Jesus? And if you never need to call on him, David doesn't stand in front of the giants, his brothers. Let's use it. We can, we, we, we're coming through a lot of stories in the Bible. Let's talk about David. David's brothers, his brother Eliab was a strong guy. His brother Eliab probably had life a little bit better than David. David had to go watch the sheep. Eliab didn't go through what David went through. But when David stood in front of the Goliath, which was the, the, the step to his kingship because he was anointed king, but he kept, became king after the Goliath, right? So he wasn't just anointed king. And now because he's anointed king, he can skip Goliath. So his kingship, although his calling was revealed, the manifestation, the practical outflow, the outworking of that, that anointing on his head only happened after a fight. If he didn't go through the fight, no crown. He would die with potential. The oil says what he will be, but the fight brought him to the, to the place where the oil began to manifest in him as king. He can't skip it. His brothers stood in front of Goliath and couldn't take on Goliath. His brothers, David's brothers, same house, same house. Stood in front of Goliath in the armies of Saul and heard Goliath taunt the people of God, the armies of God, mocking God, didn't respond. David walks up to the story, hears Goliath and responds very differently to his brother that's much bigger than him. Why? Because the backstory of David, we have David dealing with a bear, which is a fight. How many of you fought a bear? We have a little puppy in our house. Sometimes it feels like that as a bear because it keeps on biting our toes. But if there was no bear in David's life, which is a fight, I don't know. I don't think he just went up to the bear, smacked it. The bear goes, oh, get dead. Oh, dead. I think the bear probably fought him a little bit. Uppercut. Bob, Bob, weave. And the lion, I... I he must have had some scratches on him. He went through some stuff. Everything in the Bible is about trouble that hits people's lives. God wants to birth himself a people. Where does he get them? He doesn't go and find the... He, you know that, that after the 400 years of silence in the Bible between Malachi and Matthew, you have uh, the Roman Empire exercising authority over Jerusalem and the, and the Israelites, right? Why does God not choose the Romans? They're strong. They already have authority. They're already wildly populated. I mean, if Jesus would appear to the emperor in a burning fire like he did to Moses, I'm sure the emperor would go like, oh snap, that's not normal. And turn. But God doesn't do that. You know where God got the Israelites from? He gets them to become slaves in Israel under severe oppression. And under that severe oppression, God births himself, births himself a people. Under that suffering, God brings them out. Moses, the story of Moses, he is raised in the palace, but that's not his backstory. 
His backstory is he's raised without a mother and a father in a foster home. Under that suffering, he goes through that and God uses Moses to lead out a couple of million Jews. It is under great suffering. Uh, Abraham is called the father of faith, was tested by God asking him, offer your son. You were asked, offer up your Sundays. He was told, offer up your son. You have a hard time giving God Wednesdays. But the father of our faith, Abraham, was told, give up your son. And without hesitation, called it worship. We call it abuse. You will not escape the pain and the suffering that comes with Christianity. But these things produce in you a character of perseverance. You're already told that the world is going to hate you. Make peace with it. The world is not for you. The world doesn't like you. The moment you confess Jesus Christ, it's not even them. It's a demon behind them that hates you because they see on you. The Bible says in the spiritual realm, you are marked with a seal. The seal of the Holy Spirit is upon your life. There is already something in the unseen realm that marks you as God. Although other people don't see it, demons do. And because you glow in the dark, in the unseen realm, they see you, they target you, and they hate you. Make peace with it. When you're at peace with that, it becomes easier to pursue God's call for your life. Now, what's the story? Our Christianity is much more practical than theoretical. The destination is on the other side of our storms. The instructions, your instructions for living becomes clear. God, God's voice becomes clear in the storms if you pay attention. You begin to learn things about Jesus that you would never learn about him without the storm. You, there is no way, so I wanna, I wanna tell you right now that there is no way that anyone of you in this room is going to escape the storms. It's either your marriage or it's your singleness or it's your finances or it's your health or it's your parents or it's a drug abuse issue or it's a pornography issue, or it's an identity crisis. Every single person in this room has a something that they're facing that is oppressing them and fighting them and trying to gain control of your thinking. At, 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 at least it's trying to dissuade you from thinking that your answer is in God. And if it gets you off course, it eventually, it plans to kill you because the devil comes to seek, kill and destroy. It's after you to try and find you, to kill you. Sin starts small, but the, the fruit of sin is death. It always leads to death. If it can isolate you so that you eject yourself out of the pain that you're going through right now, the ultimate purpose of that thing is to kill you. It's to take you out. And you die spiritually. Many people die spiritually long before they die physically. They give up on God and the purposes of God because the pain is just too much. Because you begin to lose friends when you pursue God. You begin to lose respect when you pursue God. I was thinking, I was standing there looking at this auditorium because the number of people in this room, we're, we're close to about 1,500 tonight um, in this room. Might, might even be a little bit more than that. If this is a 2,000 seater auditorium, might be slightly over one five. How do we get so many young people? How many of you are young? How many of you are old? Thank you for joining us, appreciate it. <laughs> I was in America just before the elections now, um, COVID. And Bishop Butt said, all the young men in the room stand up, I wanna pray for you. And I was sitting there and this guy sitting next to me is my age and he says to me, let's stand up. I said to him, I can't be a young man. He said, come on, let's stand up for Let's stand up. And I said to him, listen, we're gonna look stupid. And here I was, over, I think we were 40 years of age. I'm standing up. And I'm 40 years old. The other guy's standing up is like 20, 22. And I look at them and like, I'll take you. <laughs> Bishop was looking at me and that guy and said. Young people, but fine, let's pray for them. And he prayed anyway. So I'm taking that blessing. The Bible is full 
of storms in the disciples' lives. It's full of stories in the Old Testament of people going through tri trials and tribulations. It's full of issues. You have Abraham who has a beautiful wife. He walks into a city, there's a king, sees his wife. Whole city full of beautiful women, he sees Abraham's wife. Abraham has to make a decision. God is teaching him a couple of things. He says, yeah, it's my sister. Imagine me walking through Menland. Guy looks at Chanel, goes like, yeah, my sister. Just don't beat me. That's not going to happen. Abraham went through that. We have Isaac. Isaac, his mother, um, he marries Rebecca. Rebecca confuses Isaac. Rebecca, marriage problems, tells Isaac that his son Jacob is actually Esau. She's the one that clothes them in skin of an animal, lies to him. You, you can see the progression of the sin in that family line because now Jacob is called a deceiver because he's the guy that God dressed as his brother and he was born like that. His, he lies to his father about who he is. So his brother, his children lies to him about Joseph. His 11 sons, 11 sons, that's the multiplication of sin. He lied to his father, sows a lie about who he was. His 11 sons lied to him about Joseph. That's a dysfunctional family. Do you think that just happens and there's no storm in the family? But out of these things, God brings good things. Now we get to the New Testament. God tells the disciples, get in the boat. So they get in the boat. They're on the other side. They're in this boat. The storm begins to happen. Now, at this point, they have a sort of revelation of Jesus because they just saw him multiply. This is in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, the same story. Different in Luke, a little bit different in Luke than it is in Matthew and Mark. In Luke, he doesn't walk on the water. In Luke, he is in the boat. Might be different storms, but in Luke, he is already in the boat. Then here he comes walking on the water. The disciple sees him walking on the water, and he says to them, don't fear, it's I. Peter says to him, if it is you, tell me to walk towards you. Uh, come to you. And so Jesus says, it is I, come. And Peter, uh, Peter begins to walk on the water. That is something Peter would never have done had there not been a storm and had he seen Jesus walk on it. And in the midst of the storm, Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. Jesus is in front of him, standing on the waves. He begins to give the first steps. And as he does, his eyes catches the waves next to him. Isn't that what happens to us in a storm? Our eyes catches the waves before he catches God. This morning, the message was, don't make stupid decisions in your delay season. Tonight, I want to tell you, don't make stupid decisions in your storm season. Don't make stupid decisions in your storm season. Many people, when they are going through some suffering, they think the way to get rid of the suffering is to change churches. If I get out of my U group and give up my U group, I'll have more time for me. It is you in the first place that got you in the problems. It's not your U group. It's not your gathering around saints. It's not you sitting in this room that's increasing your problems. You can't fix it if you were at home right now. The only thing that will change is the devil will leave you. But what you think is you're having less problems, but what you can't see is that you have less of a future. Because the devil doesn't bother what doesn't bother him. And you're no threat when you're off course. Is that a fact? Are you okay with that? Okay, I don't want to upset you. So, so, so you, you can't escape. So Jesus gets them. Now, Jesus eventually gets in the, in the boat and now he begins to speak to the waves. And Peter, while his mouth is just drying, drying uh, wringing his shirt, get the water out, he's standing there looking at Jesus and say, he says, blockies. Jesus calms the storm. The storm comes down. They look at each other and go like, what manner of man is this? Do you have the verses in the scriptures up there? You can put it up there for me. There we go. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? So their revelation of who he is increased in a storm. They would never have known who is this that the winds and waves obey him had there been no winds and waves. You're going now, currently, macro environment in South Africa is financially, it's tough. If you had any debt, your debt is very expensive now because of the interest rates that's gone up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's your parents' problem. 
But if you have a baby, you know what I'm talking about. Every time that baby goes, you're like, oh, it hurts. Can we reuse that diaper? Imagine how your parents had to raise you. They had those cloth diapers. They loved you. That's love that, has, that does that. That's just love. But life is expensive now. But you'll never know that God can carry you through this storm if he never allows you to be in the storm. How can you be calm? God says to you, I've got this. I will carry you through this thing. How will you believe that if you never see him do that? How do you grow in perseverance if the first storm that you face gets you out of the boat, you running this way? T.D. <clears throat> Jake suggests that the boat is the church and the water is the world. It says the same in Revelation, so I'm in agreement with that because the Revelation talks about out of the sea will come this, this, this thing, uh, the, the beast. So the sea represents the world. The church represents the boat. The boat only works when it's in the water. So the church has to be in the world. And we want to get out of the church so that the world doesn't get in the boat. And the world doesn't threaten the boat. And so the waves beating is the world having a problem with the church. And so what most of us do is because of the fear of the storm, we never get in the boat. He tells them, get in the boat and cross to the other side. We'll never get there because we don't want really to be part of what God does. Because if we do, it becomes to cause problems for us. It causes problems in our families because not all your families is in agreement with you not having a glass of wine with their fish. You know what trouble also does? Why trouble is necessary? Trouble gives an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. Trouble gives an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. Do you know how many times I've used the story of my back being broken on a mountain bike? When I worked at a, in a corporate environment for six years, working in Stanton, driving there every single day, except when I was bunking. Driving there, I, I sat there with my colleagues often and told them I broke my back, often. And I use that story to begin to tell you, this, just a small in, uh, infomercial time. Every one of you should put yourself out there to tell someone about Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to me. What? Oh, hear me. Hear thee, oh, hear thee. The word of the Lord. Tell someone about Jesus. Put yourself in the very uncomfortable position. Learn how to do it. You walk up to someone and say, hey, Kenya Jesus, play back for my off. Figure out how to tell someone about Jesus. Find someone, not the guy sitting next to the robot that doesn't have food to eat. Find someone that looks like you. Then you go and sit down with them. To say, do you, what is your relationship with Jesus right now? Do you have a relationship with him? And he goes like, Ooh. oh, yes, I do. You go like, what church do you go to? Oh, we go, I don't go to church. You go like, why don't you go to church? You're missing out on what God can do in your life. And have the conversation, even though it's difficult, and begin to testify and to witness about, about Jesus with the end goal of your conversation to be to pray for them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have to, as a Christian, learn how to do that. Listen to me, church. We are not effective if you don't go out there and lead someone to Jesus. Lead someone to Jesus. Learn how to do it. Learn how to do it. You get to a restaurant and the waiter is serving you. The waiter can speak proper English and understands you. You're there and you're... If she speaks Zulu and you can't speak Zulu, refer to a Zulu friend. But if she can understand you properly and you can explain, ask her, do you know Jesus? And then pray for her. You are God's hands and feet and his mouthpiece in places where other people will never get to. You have to put yourself out there. And that's the suffering you have to go through to, accept, to, 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 to represent your faith practically. Put yourself in a position where it hurts. But, but, but Stephen, in the book of Acts, Stephen is appointed by the 12 disciples, the apostles, to serve tables. But Stephen begins to serve tables and witness. And at the same time, he begins to pray for people and miracles begins to happen at the ushers praying for them. 
Stephen is not even considered an apostle. And here he prays and miracles happen. They get so upset with Stephen, they want to kill him. And the more they want to kill him, they pick up stones. And the more he testifies, he begins to glow in a way. And they pick up stones and they throw him with the stones and they kill him. Because of that, the other Christians get gets really concerned and they spread. If Stephen didn't die, they would not have run. And if they did not run, the communities they ran into would never have heard the gospel. Stephen's suffering advanced the gospel. So God used Stephen's trial to have the gospel spread outside. Peter, Paul and Barnabas. It's a biblical story. You can fact check me. Peter is not in the story. It's Paul and Barnabas. They have a dispute about John Mark and Paul says, I'm not taking John Mark because in the previous missionary journey, John Mark turned around and went home. Sort of as if he's saying he was like, is acting like a coward. Although John Mark eventually wrote the book according the gospel according to Mark. So he was restored. And Paul later said, bring him to me because he is helpful in ministry. They were reconciled. But that dispute, the sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas was a sharp argument. But that caused multiple missionary journeys to happen at the same time. If Paul and Barnabas and Mark went to the same direction, it would be one ministry mission. Now it's split up into two. Their, their internal fight, suffering and irritation with one another, God used it to spread the gospel. How is God using your story to advance the kingdom? Stop saying that what you're going through is to kill you and to destroy you. God doesn't love you. Ask God, how can he use what you're going through for his glory? Amen. The same happened with Saul persecuting the church because Saul was standing by when they, when they stoned. Um, what's his name? Stephen. When they stoned Stephen, Paul was standing by. And because of that, Paul fiercely persecuted the church, which is also one of the reasons the church spread as wide and as far and as fast as it did. In, 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 in the, trying to find different stories. Paul and Silas is imprisoned because Paul and Silas is walking down the road. A young girl follows them and says, these are the men that shows unto you the way of righteousness. Again, a biblical story, check it. These are the men. He turns around after a couple of days, gets irritated with this young girl, rebukes her and casts out a demon. Now this girl no longer can be, do fortune telling and her slave masters are now losing money. The gospel that Paul displayed caused him and Silas to be put in prison because their masters accused them of robbing them. Now Paul and Silas is in prison for the gospel. If you lose a friend for the gospel, have you been to prison yet? You think that if you put in your bio that you're a Christian or you're in Unite 180 and you're serving Jesus and you lose people's respect, you're losing something. Paul was put in prison. Paul gets in prison. Paul and Silas, they begin to sing A massive earthquake hits the prison. The chains falls off and the doors goes open. The guard in the prison freaks out, wants to kill himself. Paul says to him, stop, don't do that. And Paul doesn't run away honoring the Roman law, which is amazing. He stays put. And at the same time, because of what happened, because he was suffering, put in prison, he gets an opportunity to preach the gospel to the prison guard. The prison guard gets to hear and see the power of the gospel in Paul's suffering. God uses that story, turns it around and they testify and they get set free. Paul gets put on a boat to go Acts 2720. See if it's that verse. Is it? Now I want to know. I want to know. That's not how it goes. I didn't type it down. Acts, uh, Paul Shipwreck. Yes, 2720. Put that verse up there. Yes. <laughs> Paul is on a boat and they're being shipwrecked. And th this is just in front of the shipwreck event. But the storm, they're in a storm, a storm that is, Paul is supposed to go to see Caesar. What God doesn't tell him is you're going there as a prisoner. And he's on a boat to, on his way to Rome. And he says, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days 
and no small tempest beat on us. Now neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. How dark is it around you now? How hopeless does it have to feel for no stars? What does it say? No sun, nor stars. That's a severe storm for it to be so dark to see no sun and no stars at night for many days to see nothing. And it says all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. It, the storm kept on going so long that all our hope was gone. This is how far. And then God begins to speak to him and says, there shall be no lives lost. And they swim ashore and they get to the island that is now currently called Malta at that time, a different name, Malta. They get on an island, the, the island tears is again in the Bible. You can fact check it. They're on this island and on this island, Paul begins to get up and he puts the island, island, islanders, the island boys, island boys. <laughs> My island boy. Makes him a fire. I thought, I thought it was be funny. Paul's looking at this dude. He says, okay, he needs to hear the God. <clears throat> and Paul gets up. He begins to, 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 now Paul has just been shipwrecked. You have one fiery dream and you don't show up for church for two weeks. Somebody doesn't greet you at the door. You have to walk all the way from down there to get into the church building. And this is too much work for you to come to church. You quit. Paul was shipwrecked. Have you ever been shipwrecked? I've been shipwrecked on a boogie board. <laughs> but Paul was shipwrecked and he gets off the island. So he's sitting there amongst the island here in Malta. He could ask himself, Jesus, what does this help? I want to go to Rome. That's where the influential people is. That's who needs to hear the gospel. He's sitting, the island boy sitting around, around him. As a, a viper comes out, a viper comes out, a viper. So Paul is sitting there by this fire and a snake comes out of this fire and latches to his hand and the island boy makes a rap song about it because he's going to die. <clears throat> Dead. They're waiting for this dude to pass out. Paul is just sitting there with a snake on his hand. I'm thinking, how does this look? He's hungry, he's tired, he's wet, his hair is all curly because he's next to the beach. It's, and the snake, he takes the snake and he's busy telling them about Jesus. What just happened? He takes the snake, and he goes on, he says, so I was telling you, at, I was persecuting the church and this guy in Malta looks at his buddy, he goes like, he's going to die. And Paul continues with his story. And now they didn't pay attention to his story until the snake attacked his hand. The Bible talks about hands. Use your hands for work. Hands speaks of the work you do. So the serpent, the snake, bit his hands, attacking his work. And he shook it off. He just shook it off. And because of that, if we get bitten by a snake, we have to have headlines in newspapers. It was bitten by a snake and just shook it off. You don't get greeted and you quit church. He was bitten by a, coke, by, a, by a viper and just shakes it off. He doesn't take offense, he shakes it off. We don't get greeted well, we take offense, we quit church. We eject ourselves in every portion of suffering. We miss the lesson. He shakes it off and now he's got their attention. I'm telling you now they are listening to every word that he speaks because now they think he's a God. All of a sudden they're listening. Your storm serves for the gospel to be advanced. You're not going through something for, for no reason. There are thousands of storms that I've been through in my 25 years. And then when I say thousands, there are multiple things that I've gone through. There was at one point, I was so broke, my, I had my last month worth of salary, everything I had built up, all the houses I had sold and accumulated quite a bit of money. All that money from the projects that I've done and the houses I built and sold. And my bank account had dwindled to one month's worth of salary. God took it all. I never wavered in my faith with God. I said to him, God, you are my God. I'm going to serve you. I prayed, I fasted, I did everything. I did everything I supposed to do. And one Saturday I went out. It was a hell of a storm, but I kept my eyes on Jesus. I never missed church. 
I never considered leaving church to get a different result. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. That last month I went out, etc. I said to Chanel, I'm gonna, because I had a prophet come and visit our church. The prophet said to me, God is changing you from, he's taking you, prophetically he spoke to me. Some, it is possible in one encounter of God to have your entire future changed. He spoke to me, he said, God is taking you from a consumer to a producer. He said, God is, God is shift, shifting you over, he's moving you. You will no longer be a consumer, you will be a producer. And he was talking financially. Instead of just receiving from my parents and getting a salary, God was making me a producer. What a profound word, I didn't understand it. That Saturday morning, I left the house, I said, Chanel, I'm not coming home until I've made money. I was driving in Cineville. I bought a car. I took my brother's car a lot and sold the car the same day, made two and a half grand. And that's where it started, a small transaction. But it said in motion, certain things that began to happen for me. And God began to move. But he took lots of money, made it go down. And every month my eyes grew bigger and bigger and bigger until I walked around the house like this, looking at my bank account. And God came through and he, he caused me to survive that. And then the next storm and the next storm and the next thing. Now we go through a recession again. I'm not even paying attention for now. We're good. The other say, the Bible says, do not say next year or this year, I'll do this or that. Say, if God allows me, then I will. So I'm not being so, uh, uh, arrogant about it. But by the grace of God, there were lessons learned in serious financial storms that has put me in the position to be able to lead this church when we build this project right out of a recession. COVID. Right out of COVID. Because the storms teach you something. Don't think that when things are tough, Jesus is not there. It is especially when things are tough that Jesus is in the boat. Another pastor remarked this. He says in the story in Luke, Jesus is in the boat. The disciples are freaking out. They go and wake Jesus because the storm is beating against the boat. It wasn't, the water wasn't in the boat to the extent that Jesus woke up. Jesus didn't even wake up because of the storm. How bad was the storm? Maybe the, maybe the devil just elevated the, the, the perception of the storm. Because Jesus was sound asleep. He wasn't even awoken by the waves, but the disciples freaked out. What are, you, what are you freaking out about now that's grade one? And you're supposed to be at grade 10 already. What is the devil keeping you in school for? That God says you should be in university by now, spiritually. You should have progressed by now. But every time you get to the storm, you freak out and you lose your faith. And then you go for a season outside of the church and God brings you all the way back to learn the same lesson. How about this time around, learn it? Are you lonely? Embrace it. How about you turn it around and tell God, say to God, if you want me to be lonely, if you, if, if you want me to be lonely, I'll be lonely. And I'll put a smile on my face and I'll worship you through the loneliness. And it's not gonna change what happens. And then don't pretend to be happy, lonely. Actually embrace it. Maybe God doesn't want a wife for you. Go like, you're in a disagreement with God. Who's bigger? God, accept it. And who knows that God might change it when you stop worrying about it. Because maybe God can't put the girl next to you because you're so desperate, you'll chase her away. If you are a real Christian, you're gonna suffer. You're gonna lose friends. You're gonna upset people. Don't upset them because you're stupid. Don't upset them because you Bible bash. Upset them because you worship Jesus and they're upset that you're happy. Let them be upset that you're calm in a storm. Whenever you, when the wheels are coming off, you stand like your brave heart himself. Like that meme of that guy walking down the Pirates of the Caribbean ship and the, the ship, the, every, he's just walking down as if nothing's happened. That's how you should look in the spirit. Calm because Jesus got this. Jesus has got this. He's carrying me through. He's carried me through to this point. He's got it all the way through. If he's brought me this far, he can get, carry me all the Do you think God is sadistic? He'll carry you to here and just so you, when you finally trust him, he goes like, sucker. That's not his nature. He's trying at every turn to get you to trust him. Having grown up in an environment where you've learned to distrust everything. 
is the only sure anchor you have is Jesus. You can rely on him. He says, I know you're in need of food. I know you're in need of clothing. Stop worrying about it. When you stop worrying about it, don't be lazy. Press hard. Pursue. Have vision for your life. Be diligent. Clean your house. Make your bed. We're done. There's nothing else I can say. Suffering produces it's something in you. Suffering is not a sign that God is not there. Joseph has a dream. All these things will bow down and the sun and the moon and stars will bow down. Your parents will bow down. Your brothers will bow down. He goes like, You're, did you, brothers, did you hear what I dreamt? You're all going to bow down. Next moment, he's in a pit. All of that dreams, all of that future seems wildly dim in the darkness of a pit. He can't get to that if he doesn't go through the pit. He has to. He suffers. He suffers emotional torment. His own brothers sold him. He's in a pit. But God has a plan with his life. God is teaching him character. He gets to Potiphar's house. He says, I've got this. At least I'm gone. My family sucked. My family is nuts. I'm in a good house now. Potiphar, he trusts me. I'm going to be diligent. His wife, Potiphar's wife sees him, says, I want me some. She says to him, if an older lady says to you, I love you, also run. That's what he does. And as he runs away, she grabs his jacket. And he thought, well, I'm trying my very best. I'm not arrogant. I'm not doing anything. He's standing there without his jacket on. And he gets arrested and put in prison. He was like, what am I doing wrong? I'm in prison. His dream had to go through a pit, Potiphar's house, prison, before he gets to the palace. He went through a lot of suffering. Imagine he said to Jesus, do your thing. I'm doing my thing. Not Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. He was there, but he wasn't there. Okay. God. He had to go through it. You have to go through it. You have to go through it. You have to go through it. If you've never lost a friend for Jesus, I'm not sure you're serving Jesus. Unless everybody's in the church, then don't lose them. If you've never had a difficult transaction or business deal or anything to walk away from because of your Jesus, you're not living yet, man. If you've never walked out of a movie because it violates your faith, I don't think you know what it means to suffer yet. How can this be true if what you do here is not affected by it?